Hi, I'm Walter Lane, and you've tuned in to a sermon podcast from the Netherwood Park Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for listening. Great to be with you this morning. You know, we've been talking a lot about mission over the last several weeks, and we're going to continue to do that. Over the last three weeks, we've been addressing the why question of mission. Why? Why should you, why should I, why should we make God's mission our mission? And response to the why question, I've offered three powerful realities from God's word about God that should leave no doubt as to why we should make God's mission our mission. The reality is that God is the great I am. He isn't a God or even a superior God. He is the one and only God, the all-powerful creator and sustainer of all. So why embrace his mission? Well, because he is God. And the reality is that the creator has revealed himself to those he created by telling us his story. And amazingly, God has not only revealed his story to us, he's also invited us into his story. And he's invited us to embrace his story as our story. And find our meaning and our purpose and our hope and our mission in his unfailing love. So why embrace God's mission? Well, because as Christians, we have embraced his story as our story. And that reality points to the third reality. The reality that God has chosen to work through his people in order to bring his blessings to all people. And also remarkably, through Jesus Christ, we're able to claim Abraham as our father, and we're able to claim God's people as our people. So why embrace God's mission? Well, because we are his people. And you know, God has always worked through his people, and he is now working through his people. And he does that in ways big and in ways small. And he does that to accomplish his mission. I want to take a quick look at how God works through his people to accomplish his mission. I'm going to start back 4,000 years ago at the call of Abraham. We read about this in Genesis chapter 12. I'll start reading in verse 1. We read, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country... 
your people, and your father's household, and go into a land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that the great God of the universe has a big mission. See, God isn't content to just bless Abraham. No, his mission is much bigger than that. And he doesn't have designs on blessing just a few people through Abraham. His reach is much greater than that. Listen to the language that God uses. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. See, God is going to do big things for Abraham. But as big as those blessings are, they're nothing compared to what God is going to do through Abraham. See, this is a God-sized mission. All people in all corners of the earth will be blessed through you. That was God's mission 4,000 years ago, to bless all nations, all people on earth through his people, starting with Abraham. God intends to bring big things through his comparatively small people. Well, let's fast forward about 1,300 years. Let's see how God's mission is progressing through his people now. Now we find out that things don't look too good. God's people, Abraham's children, have fallen on hard times. Hard times that they've brought really on themselves. This once united and once great nation has been split in two. And now the northern part of the kingdom, this kingdom that had fallen into idolatry and wickedness, it's been defeated and its people have been carried away. And the southern kingdom is still there, but that kingdom is not far behind their northern brothers. They aren't far behind in their idolatry. They aren't far behind in their wickedness. And they're certainly not far behind in the upcoming humiliating defeat that they're about to face. And onto this kind of bleak stage steps the great prophet Isaiah. And kind of surprisingly, Isaiah doesn't pronounce the end of God's mission. He doesn't even pronounce the end of God's people. Instead, Isaiah affirms that God's mission is still in effect, and he points to the future with hope. He points to the future for God's great move that's about to come, when he's going to truly bless the nations. Yes, in Isaiah's time, it may look like God's mission has failed because God's people have failed. Uh, But God's mission remains the same. His mission is unchanged. So Isaiah looks forward about 700 years into the future. He looks forward to the coming of the Messiah. He talks about the coming faithful and obedient servant who is coming to bless all the nations. Isaiah says all nations will be blessed. They're going to be blessed through God's son. Listen to what Isaiah has to say about the coming Messiah, the word of the God. Isaiah 
49.6. We read, God says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring those of Israel I have kept. So I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. How about that language? God's speaking about Jesus and he's speaking to Jesus and he says that restoring the nation of Israel is too small of a mission. Now his mission is bigger than that. His mission is to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's a God-sized mission. All nations to the very ends of the earth will be blessed through his son. 700 years later, his son comes. And he goes to the cross. He's the perfect sacrifice. He defeats sin and he defeats death. He breaks all barriers down. And he's resurrected. He returns to his father. He sends his spirit as a gift to his followers. And he leaves God's mission in the hands of his church. And then we see as Paul and Barnabas, who are missionaries in God's church, we see them proclaiming to Abraham's children the good news of God's mission. The good news of God's mission through Jesus Christ. And as they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, they remember the words of Isaiah. Acts chapter 13. We're in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. They're at the synagogue. We read this, Paul and Barnabas answered the Jews boldly. They said, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, God's mission hasn't changed. It's still a God-sized mission. God intends to bless all the nations to the ends of the earth. And he intends to bring that blessing through his people, through his church. We know that church is made up of God's people, don't we? And here we find out that his mission hasn't changed since the time of Abraham. God is still working to bless all the nations to the very ends of the earth. And he is accomplishing that God-sized mission. He's accomplishing it through the man and woman-sized actions of people like you. And people like me. God's mission to bless the nations through his new people, through his children of faith, through you and me. That mission continues today. He's working through people like us. And that might leave you shaking your head in confusion. I mean, after all, why would God do that? Why would God put such a big mission in the hands of such small people? How can that possibly work? Well, here's how it can work. 
First, it can work if we take the emphasis off of us. And we put the emphasis where it belongs. Where it belongs is on God. You see, we're able to accomplish God-sized things, not because we are people, but because we are God's people. And as God's people, God is working powerfully through us. And secondly, we're able to accomplish God-sized things because Jesus didn't leave us alone. Jesus didn't leave his people alone when he returned to the Father. See, it's true. We are too small to accomplish God-sized things on our own. But we aren't alone. Listen to what Jesus said shortly before he went to the cross. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do it even greater than what I have done, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Listen to what he says. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. See, we're not alone We're not relying on our own power. It's God working his God-sized mission to bless the nations through us. Which brings us to the third ingredient. The third ingredient needed for God to bless all the people on earth through us. And the third ingredient is that we need to be faithful to our mission in our little part of the world. We need to be faithful to our mission in our little corner of the world. Maybe you're like me. When you hear the word mission in a church context, do you immediately think of foreign missions? Do you immediately think of probably third world countries where a few brave souls are sent as missionaries to proclaim the gospel? And are you like me? Do you think that our role in that mission work is to send a monthly check? A check that allows us to check our mission box? See, I want us to understand. I want you to understand. I want me to fully grasp that God's mission is so much bigger than that. Yes, his mission is to bless third world countries by having his people proclaim the gospel in those corners of the earth. That is absolutely part of God's mission. But his mission is also to bless the people in this country, in this state, in this city, in this neighborhood. To bless the people in your family and the people in your school and the people at your work. His mission is to bless all people in all corners of the world through his people. Through his people who are faithful to their mission calling. 
So I want you to know over the next year, I'm going to work really hard at expanding our vision of mission. And I want to do that because I want us to affirm that God's mission is way out there in the far corners of the world. But it's also right here. It's right in front of our noses. And also want us to know that God's mission is moved forward by some of his people doing great big things. But you know, more often, it's moved forward through all of his people being faithful to consistently doing small things in their small part of the world. So also over the next year, I'm going to work really hard at convincing all of you that you are in fact God's missionaries. You've got an auditorium full of missionaries. So as I begin to do that this morning, I want to give you just a sampling of some of the ways, both big and small, in which you can be faithful to God's mission in your life. So write these down on your notes in your outline, but also know that we're going to be talking about each of these in much greater detail over the coming year. This is more of a sampling, more of an overview. So how can you bless the nations? How can you be a missionary? Well, here's how. Number one, you can bless the nations and you can be God's missionary by just walking in the ways of God. By walking in the ways of God in your part of the world. And specifically, you can bless the nations and be God's missionary by working to bring justice and righteousness to our corrupt world. That's a big part of God's mission. And if you will walk in righteousness and if you will walk in justice, then you can know that you are God's missionary. And you can also know that he will bless the world through you. That's way number one. Here's number two. You can bless the nations and you can be God's missionary by living like you have truly been set free from your slavery to sin. If you'll live like a redeemed person. If you'll respond to your redemption with compassion on those who are still enslaved to sin. If you'll do that, then you can know that you are God's missionary. And you can know that God will bless the world through you. That's number two. Number three. You can bless the nations and you can be God's missionary by being a true representative of God to the people in your corner of the world. See, you're not tasked with shining your light to every corner of the world. You're tasked with shining your light to your corner of the world. See, if you'll shine God's light, if you will be Christ-like in your day-to-day dealings with the people who are in your corner of the world, you are God's missionary. And he will bless the world through you. And one of the ways that he'll bless the world through you is that some of those people, not all, but some of those people 
who see your light shining will be attracted to the God whom you represent. So if you'll shine your light in your corner of the world, you can know that you are God's missionary. And you can know that he's blessing the world through you. That's number three. Number four. You know, we have to recognize that it isn't enough to just represent God to the world in our day-to-day dealings. It's the beginning point, but it's not the ending point. You see, the people in your corner of the world also need to know that your God is the God. They need to know that his story is the story. And they need to know that Jesus Christ has made it possible for the God to also be their God. And how can they know that if they don't hear about it? You see, those who are attracted to God by your representation of God need to be told about God. And they need to be told about his son. So if you will proclaim the gospel of Christ in your corner of the world, you are God's missionary. And you can know that he will bless the world through you. That's number four. Number five. You know, there are some corners of the world where there isn't anybody there to represent God. There isn't anybody there to proclaim the gospel. And you know, it's not everybody's mission to go to those corners of the world. But I'm absolutely convinced it is the mission of all God's people to make sure that someone goes to those corners. So if you are part of sending people where they need to go, or if you are one of those who is sent, then you need to know that you are God's missionary and that he will bless the world through you. That's number five. And finally, number six. You know, if you'll worship God... If you'll worship God as the God and as your God. And if you'll open yourself up to his mission worked through you. And if in your compassion for the world you pray that God's blessings will be poured out in every corner of the earth. Poured out through you and poured out through other of God's people. Then you can know you are God's missionary. And he will bless the world through you. And if you're not yet convinced that you are God's missionary, that's okay. But you need to know this. Over the next year, I'm going to keep working really hard to convince all of you that you are God's missionary. I want to end by returning to this idea that I brought up before about God's mission being moved forward by some of his people doing big things, but more often moved forward by all of his people doing small things, being faithful to consistently doing small things in their part of the world. I want to do this by first asking you a question. Be honest with yourself. When you think about your role in God's mission, how big or small do you think your role is in God's mission to bless all corners of the world? 
How big is your role? It's kind of a hard question to answer, isn't it? You know, my guess is that for most of us, our role in God's mission is bigger than we think. It's bigger than we think. And my guess is that your role in God's mission is also smaller than you probably imagine. Now, wait a minute. How's that possible? How, how can my role be both bigger and smaller than I think or imagine? Well, just stay with me. Stay tuned, and I think you'll see how that's possible. Let me give you a couple of clues to help you out as we talk about this. Clue number one. In God's mission, big doesn't mean more important. Got that clue number one. In God's mission, big doesn't mean more important. And here's clue number two. In God's mission, small doesn't mean unimportant. Small doesn't mean unimportant. Okay, we all got that. Big doesn't mean more important and small doesn't mean unimportant. Well, with those clues in mind, let's look at some big lessons from the 12th and 13th chapters of 1 Corinthians. Let me start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll start with verse 4. This is Paul speaking. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Then moving ahead to verse 12, Paul says, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Verse 27 He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Okay, here's the first lesson I want you to take away. There are many different kinds of gifts. There are many different kinds of service. There are many different kinds of works in God's church and in God's mission. There are many different ones. And some of those gifts and some of those areas of service and some of those works seem big. And some of them seem really small and insignificant. But Paul is affirming to us, big doesn't mean more important. And small doesn't mean unimportant. And that's because of lesson number two. 
See, Paul tells us that the body is made up of many parts, but the church and its mission are much greater than the sum of its parts. The church and its mission are much greater than the sum of its parts. And that's because of lesson number three. The body is dependent on all of the parts. It's dependent on the big parts. It's dependent on the small parts. It's dependent on all the parts in order to function as God intended. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that your role in the church and your role in its mission is probably bigger and more important than you think it is. And that's because the whole church and its role in God's mission depends on you and your service and your work. It depends on you being the part you were called to be. You see, not only are you a missionary, you are an important missionary. You and your gifts and your service and your work, they're all important to God's mission. His mission for his church and his mission for the world. But you know, there's something that's even more important to your role in God's mission than your gifts and your service and your work. See, love is more important to God's mission than your gift, your service, or your work. See, Paul goes on to tell us that it turns out that love trumps gifts. In fact, to use Paul's lovely language, he says love is the most excellent way. Let's read on as Paul continues starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. Paul says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. And see, love is more important to the body and it's more important to God's mission than any gifts, any works, any service. In fact, the biggest gifts. The biggest works, the biggest areas of service are nullified if they aren't accompanied by love. But the good news for us is even the smallest gifts, the smallest areas of service, the smallest works are magnified when they're paired with love. What does that mean? Well, that means that your role in God's mission is bigger and more important than you think. As long as you're doing it with love. And it also means that even the the smallest role, the very least body part, is elevated in God's mission if it is accompanied by love. You see, if you love 
It turns out that you're God's missionary. And it turns out that God will bless the world through you. And Paul tells us that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, say it with me, the greatest of these is love. See, if you love, if you love in your corner of the world, you're bearing witness, you're bearing testimony. You're bearing redemptive witness, the witness of someone who has been set free. You're bearing witness to the loving God. See, when you love in your corner of the world, you're representing God as he truly is. Not as people think he is, not as he is rumored to be, but as he truly is. You're representing God to the world. So when you are patient and kind and content and humble, when you're polite and generous, when you're calm and forgiving, when you're pure and honest, when you're protective and trusting, when you're hopeful and when you always endure, you are being God's missionary. And you can know he will bless the world through you. You see, those are not small things. So as we close this morning, I want you to know that right now, wherever it is that God has placed you, you are living in your mission field. You don't have to go somewhere else. God has placed you in your mission field. You are living in your mission field. So my question for you is, are you also loving in your mission field? Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for blessing us in so many different ways, with your son, with your church, with forgiveness, with salvation. Father, with gifts, with the the areas of service and work that you've given each of us to do in our corner of the world. And Father, help us to do all that we're called to do lovingly. Father, help us to be patient, kind, content, humble, polite, generous, calm, forgiving, pure, honest. Help us to be protective and trusting. Help us to always have hope and to always endure. Father, help us to represent you to the world as you truly are. Help us to be faithful to your mission. And help us to be faithful to our role in your great mission. Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So, missional challenge number five. This is a living and loving challenge. I want you to to 
think about, to reflect, to meditate on, to pray about how you can be more patient, more kind, more content, more humble, more polite, more generous, more calm, more forgiving, pure, more honest, more protective, more trusting, more hopeful, and more enduring in your mission field where God has placed you. Why don't you take that challenge as we stand and sing about our walking with Jesus. Stay.